The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Drew Blevins and Nick Sinopoli. And we welcome you to another edition of The Howler. I'm Drew Blevins, joined by Nick Sinopoli as we're prepared to give you the state of Wolfpack Athletics. As always, we're brought to you by our friends at White Street Brewery. Well, Nick will be joining me here in a second. Our first segment today, though, features a coach that we've never actually had on this podcast, but somebody that we're certainly used to talking to. That would be the assistant coach of the NC State hockey team, Jeff Wing. Coach, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, thanks, Drew. Glad, glad to be here. The NC State Wolfpack went into the ACCHL tournament as a fifth seed, and I'll go ahead and spoil the result for you now, as I'm sure many of you watched NC State. was a runner-up this year to the Virginia Cavaliers. Tough way to lose it, but let's just start back at the beginning of the season and look at how far this team came. This was a resilient bunch of young men who found a way to go from below 500 at the end of the first semester to finishing with 15 wins on the season, which is a tremendous step forward in the right direction. How critical was it for those guys to bounce back in that Liberty tournament in January? Oh, it was, it was, I think the reason that we got as far as we did into the championship game in the tournament. So we started six and one. So we had a great season. We had, had some injuries and the, I guess the, the, the bright side of that was that people that um, might not have gotten as much ice time got more and got better. So what we ended up with when we got our healthy players back is we had an entire roster of people that had gotten better the entire year. So as we went into the tournament in Liberty, it was the first uh, weekend back, uh, we beat a 7th seed and I think a 17th seed in, in um, Louisville and Virginia Tech. But I think it was, it was a result of everybody contributing. So that was, I was really proud, actually, of the guys that actually stepped up and, and continued to get better. You mentioned the rank wins against Louisville and Virginia Tech, and we had talked about those, both of those critical, not only for NC State as a team this year, but for a program as well. To be able to get another top 10 win second in two years was absolutely monumental, and Virginia Tech's going to be coming into the ACC next year. Absolutely tremendous wins there. But then you transition into an ACCHL schedule. About mm-hmm. 50-50, you beat Charlotte, you, you lose to Wake Forest, you beat North Carolina, you lose to Elon. What was the emotion in the locker room like as you were going back and forth, bouncing between win-loss, win-loss in the ACC? Uh, well, you nailed it, an emotional roller coaster. You know, and, and in some of those games, if I remember, all of them were close. Certainly the Elon game was a, a heartbreaker at the very end there. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing about sports is, you know, even championship teams rarely win every single game in their season. So I, I believe that you learn more from your mistakes than your successes. And I think, again, that's what helped us continue to get better all year long was we had those losses. We could go back and practice and say, hey, let's work on this, let's work on that to get better. So I think that actually the losses, while they were painful, made us better. We're joined by Jeff Wing, the assistant coach of the NC State hockey team. You go into that ACC tournament this past weekend. You're five seed. That's the lowest this team has ever gone in under Mike Gazzillo. Right. Sort of a strange feeling, especially after having such a dominant season in the year before. Yeah. And you see that you've got a matchup with Charlotte once again, a team that had played just so close. Right. When you saw that matchup, knowing your team, what were your immediate thoughts going into that game Friday afternoon? Well, I think we're similar to them. We had bus likes. So we all traveled up, or most of the people traveled up that morning. So the first thing you want to do is make sure everybody's warmed up, limber, um, ready to go. That's a, you know because that's the thing that can really hurt you is getting out to a slow start. So I think the first thing was just make sure everybody was you know there on time. We start on time. It's a, a hockey saying, um, and uh, you know, what you really want is from this, the first puck drop, you get something good happens, right? Whether it be uh, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll call it you know a, a physical play or a good shot on net, some momentum change. So what we're really looking for in those was getting a good, uh, getting a good uh, start off of the first uh, faceoff. And really, you do that each of the each of the lines that go out, not just the first, but the first first three to four shifts when everybody's getting in. We'll, we'll run short shifts there. 20 seconds maybe, so everybody gets into the game and get the energy going quickly. And that was a team against Charlotte that hopped out to a 3 nothing lead fairly early in that hockey game. Mm-hmm. State hadn't started well prior to that. What was the key to being able to start so quickly against the Niners? I think it was just that. You know, a lot of times you get, uh, again, those short shifts for the first few few hops. Um, 
You know, that first goal is always really important in, in most sports and certainly in hockey. So getting the first one, I think it was um, it was Alfonsetti or, or, or uh, Kenny got the, the one of the first ones. But um, it was, uh, you know, getting the first goal is important, getting everybody in the game, getting everybody excited. The momentum really got came over to our side, and I think we'd never, never kind of look back after that. You get the W. You head back to a very familiar turf, mm-hmm. and that's the semifinal game. Yeah. And then you look, you got to play George Washington, the team that it beat you in the championship game last year. Yeah. Was there any revenge been in your mind or the players' mind? I mean, you'd already played them once in the season, but this it's, it's a whole different dynamic when you're actually playing in a tournament. Was there any revenge thoughts going on? Well, I think... I think revenge is a is a dangerous thing as a person to harbor that in your heart. So the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> we held a lot of revenge. We had a lot of return players. Uh, for those that don't know, we lost by one goal last year. So uh, we kind of, uh, if you've ever seen um, uh, the movie Miracle, it's like they took that ring off a finger. So, uh, yeah, we, we definitely wanted to win that game. Once again, another quick start. Hop out to a 2 nothing yeah. lead and carry that into the right. first intermission. But GW comes storming back. Right. Joey Hall starts that game. Goaltender yep. who hadn't played in the month of February. His last game was the 28th of January against Wake Forest. Right. Didn't look necessarily comfortable in net, but the guys rallied around yeah. him. Ryan Kinney scores a giant breakaway goal, make it 4-2. He's been so clutch. Watching different guys step up throughout this tournament, throughout that game especially, how critical was that for you guys? Yeah, it was it, it was insane. Probably that goal is the game winner, right, when you really think about this, when things really changed. But again, back to what we talked about earlier with people getting a little bit more ice time. I think Ryan, I mean, a lot of a lot of our players have gotten better uh, year over year. Ryan may be one of the best. I mean, he's, he's turned into an elite hockey player in this league, I think, and I think that just showed uh, that one. I think he's got a couple of other goals on the weekend. He got a couple of posts, but – off of fantastic plays from him. So I think that play particularly in that game, and I think just having Ryan back in the roster has been fantastic. Going back to a championship game for NC State has a different feeling this time around because you're not the number one seed. You were not the favorite going into Sunday, but yet you still had the confidence that you were going to be able to knock off the Virginia Cavaliers. What gave the coaching staff that kind of confidence? You know, I think you, you start watching the growth of the team, and the, the way they're playing together, the way they're playing for each other, the way that the, the, whole, t- the whole team feel is coming together. We it really came, you know, getting the first goal in both of the, the preceding games. Uh, a lot of people contributing up and down the lineup. I think the defense was really doing a good job in front of our net. Um, we had a system, you may remember from the, from, the, uh, from the broadcast, where we had one black or one white jersey in the high slot all the time. A lot of times that's where we'll get sc- scored on, as like the third guy sneaking in. Uh, all of those things kind of built on the, to the fact that we thought, well, you know, we really knew UVA was a great team, and so we didn't want to take them lightly, but we felt like we had a, you know, at least an even chance to win that one. Luis Jimenez scores the opening goal in that hockey game. One nothing, yeah. and once again everybody started to say this is the year. Here yeah. you go. It was only one nothing, and then a flurry of shots onto David Voigt after that. Yeah. But Luis's goal seemed to be the lone bright spot in that game for NC State. Chances abounded. Yeah. Flurries in the second. Sure. Flurries in the third. But ultimately, what was Virginia doing to prevent NC State from being able to score? Uh. Not getting called on penalties, that helped. I'm not supposed to say that as, as a coach. You know, I, I think they did a great job on their forecheck. They did a 2-1-2 two, two, two forecheck. For those that are not as familiar with hockey, they send two of their forwards after the puck first. So our defenseman gets penned in, hard to get out of our zone. So they, they, they have a good chance of winning that 2-1-1 two, one, one battle. We can't get out of our zone. They turn it back around, and we spend, you know, spend a lot of time playing in our end of the rink versus up in their end. So I think that was one thing they did a really good job of is, you know, penning us in, playing in our end. Uh, again, the elite team, I think they had good players up and down their roster. They had all had good players. So hats off to them for a really good game. You said it in jest, talking about yeah. the penalties, though, but – this, this game took on an air. About the second period, two goaltender interferences that yeah. are pretty much to the T in the rule book, not called. Need any collision on Andrew Kristoff, not called. High hit to Ryan Lensmeyer's face mask, off the puck, not called. Stick yeah. work, not called. Yeah. You hate to use the word hosed, <laughs> but Mike Cazillo used it in his post-game interview 
did you feel like that you were put at a disadvantage by the officiating in that hockey game? Um, yeah, I, I, I do. You know, again, I hate to say it. You don't want to make excuses. You know, the, the, the rest didn't put any pucks in the net, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, I felt like it was tilted a little, little more. They, there were a few trippings, a few things like that they didn't call. Uh, certainly the goaltender interference. I asked the, um, the ref about both of those, actually, and he said, no, you're, in one case he said your player pushed their player into our, into our goalie. But, um, yeah, you know, we did feel like after, the, after that third goal down 3-1, it seemed like there was a lot of stuff they were letting go. It, it did get a little – it felt like you just had to play just a little bit better to get over that. This team doesn't bring home an Admirals Cup. It's another empty championship appearance, and it hurts. It yeah. does. But when you look at the way this team fought, you're not going to think of this team as a team that lost a championship game similar to the way you could have thought of last year's team. Right. You're going to think about the team that fought to even get there. Yeah, I agree. Looking into the frame of next season, is this a team that, while they'll have a lot of seniors and a lot of experience, is this a team that is going to be able to get back there next season? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're gonna we, we'll win the cup next year. I, I think, um, yeah, we we're gonna miss uh, some of our seniors, but we didn't have as many seniors graduate as we did last year. The players that we have on the team now, um, as I said with you know Ryan, it, we have some elite players, not just really good players, which we have. So I think up and down the roster, we've got some fantastic players. I think the other thing that we came away with from this weekend, that weekend, is. When you get down like that, when you get down a goal or two, you find some uh, negativity coming from your bench. Like, oh, you made a mistake. It was your fault. You know, play better. You know, you're saying to, to your teammates, we had none of that. I mean, you could hear because you were right mm-hmm. above us, right? There was none of that negativity from the bench. So when you look at the teams that win, they play for each other. It's all tr- you know, kind of trite, but they play for each other. They play to win. They take care of each other. They you know, um, will defend a player if they're getting if they felt like they you know, has got a bad hit. So I think all of those things that you want in momentum and all things you want in character, family, we built that this year. So I, I do feel even more confidence going into next year with the talent and the just the, the team family feel we have going into next season. It also certainly seems like there aren't a lot of holes for NC State to fill because there weren't a lot of seniors lost this year. Final question for you. As you go into next season, what's your biggest positive on this team and your biggest negative on this team? Um, Well, I'll start with the negative first because I was excellent and on a high note. But, um, you know, I think – you know, we could use um, you know another big defenseman, another one that's with, with um, you know some uh, more experience than some of the ones. But more um, again, for those that don't know, junior is, is a thing you do. It's almost like a semi-pro thing you do between college and high school. So some of the players uh, like Sam Benishevitz and a new Davis Hudson play junior. I think having you know another defenseman of that caliber will help us. Um, so I think that that would be one thing that I think we could improve on. I think as far as the positives to take into next year is the stuff I just talked about. I mean, and really, really fantastic elite level of skill and a, a team family feel that's gonna you know get us there. There's gonna there's gonna be hard times. We're gonna lose games. We're gonna have you know times that that are you know that feels good. But I think that what I saw in that last game where people weren't complaining about each other. That's the character we have going into next year. That's going to be a huge positive that will take us as, you know, hopefully as far as we can go. And Coach Wing, we thank you so much for being here with us in studio. We'll transition quickly as we've actually got a two-for interview coming up for you here on the Howler, and we are next joined by the head coach of NC State Diving, Yahia Radman. Coach, the last time you were here, it seems like that we were talking about a team that was up and coming, and now this season turns around and it seems like that we're talking about a team who has already arrived. What has the season been like for you and your team? I think overall the season has gone uh, very well. We came off of a very successful, I guess you could say a successful uh, 2015-2016 season. Our kids were hungry but by no means satisfied. So our women finished second in the conference when we were projected to finish fourth. Our men... um, had their second uh, came off of their second title, so the possibility in their first NCAA um, relay—it's the first time they've ever won a, a national championship in that. So the expectations coming off of the off of the spring were very high, 
and and the tone was set to be an elite program. In order to be an elite or be ranked amongst the elite programs of the country, we have to train elite. We have to treat our bodies like elite athletes do. So you can't really have that typical college lifestyle. And a lot of our kids took that to heart, and that shows we have four Olympians on our team. One of them was a, um, a gold medalist, uh, Ryan Held. So it is possible. And once we had that kind of access and that exposure to these elite level names, you take the fear factor and that reverence out of it. So a perfect example at ACC's, we were a very, we're a very talented team. But again, you're also looking at a Virginia team that has a stud Olympian on it. You have a very hungry Louisville team. And again, I mean, you're looking at NC State's women's team finishing possibly first, but second and third are a little more realistic. When the girls roll onto the pool deck, we're unfazed by fame. There is no celebrity status. There is nothing special about these girls. Uh, Leah Smith, a phenomenal distance swimmer at University of Virginia, she hates math like every other kid. She has, she has boyfriend problems. She has teammate issues. And she's just a normal human being put in extraordinary circumstances, and she performed, and that's what made her famous. And once the girls kind of wrap their heads around, you know, I am good enough to be at this level. I am, I am an elite-level athlete, and I can go toe-to-toe with anybody who challenges me. Um, and I think that's what you saw. You saw the product of these girls who have been, who have been beaten back by numerous programs over the years, and enough is enough. I mean, we are good enough to, to contend with the best of them. Um, and that's honest. I think that's honestly what you saw, um, the difference between last year and this year and us, you know, quote unquote, arriving, so to speak. You mentioned the ACC championships this past week and the women coming off with their first ACC championship since 1980. That's 37 years long before Jude and I were born. But how can you really put that championship into perspective and what this does for not only the program as a whole, but this team moving forward into NCAAs? Um, I think the best way to describe it, the girls, at the beginning of the year, we had our goal meeting. We had a, a goal meeting, and these are the goals and expectations that we want to have for the year. And you fall into a lot of programs that, Yes, everybody wants to win. And yes, everybody wants to make NCAAs. And somewhere along the season, you kind of lose that urgency and the importance. And to put in perspective of where this program is and where I believe it's going and where we believe it's going as a staff is you have these women who had a reality check against a top-tier level program in, in Texas. And then they went to the Austin Grand Prix and I mean, they saw that they could actually compete with the best of the best. And when they came to the championship, it was, for all sakes and purposes, one of the most stressful situations I have ever been in. And it was very uncomfortable. I do not like being in those situations where you are battling for the lead back and forth. And that glimmer of hope that we might win and then we're behind by a few points and then we're ahead. I don't like that. But that's why people like sports, right? It's not certain. In perspective... Google 1980 and look at what was pop culture in 1980. <laughs> I don't remember that. And now those, those women in 1980 were teenagers. So you're talking about a 20-year-old who is right now a 57-year-old. So any 20-year-old on that 1980 team is a 57-year-old woman with kids, maybe grandkids, has a career, is established, and she was the last person to win an ACC championship. And we had one of those women come and speak to our girls uh, at one of the dual meets. And the magnitude and the scope of what these women did uh, last weekend, I don't think anybody will ever fully comprehend, least of them, these ladies. I don't think that they won. They did. That is something. And they understand that they won the first time since uh, 80 and in 37 years. But the scope of it is, on the coaching staff, there were maybe two of us, three of us, that were alive when this won. Everybody else, we haven't, I mean, this program hasn't known winning in our lifetime. 
in our alumni's lifetime, they haven't known winning. So it is, it is a much bigger thing, and it's something, honestly, that won't be appreciated or recognized for, I think, at least a decade. If it's a beginning of a tradition, if it's a beginning of a, of, a, of a dynasty, I don't want to speak out of turn, I don't want to jinx it, knock on wood, but if this is the beginning of something very special, something that Braden and our, and our staff did start six years ago, this will be that turning point. And it's not even the turning point. The turning point happened last year when we knew that we could. We got second when we shouldn't have. And now we won when we should have. So maybe our focus is going to start moving to bigger, better things. But the scope of it, it's unattainable. We've got Yehia Radman, the head diving coach from the NC State Wolfpack, joining us on the Howler. Coach, continuing with that discussion of the ACC championships, here was the final scoreline. NC State, 1,183.5 points. Virginia, 1,100.5. And Louisville rounded out the top three with 1,027. You beat a Virginia team that had won nine straight titles by 83 points. And for those of us who aren't as well-versed in the swimming and diving world, can you talk about how big or how small of a margin that is against a program that has been that dynasty? Um, so the way the scoring breaks down, if you look at a dual meet, a dual meet is very simple. If you win every event, you win the meet. And that's just that's the nuts and bolts of it. The first team to get to 150 points or 151 points is going to win the meet. And the scoring goes first place is nine, um, I believe it's nine, four, three, two, one. That's for dual meets. In, in the championship style, your top place finisher is going to be 32 points, and then it works all the way down to 24 points. So here is a situation where you have to have depth. So it's not enough to have the best swimmers in the country. You have to have the best swimmers in multiple events against each other so a big a perfect example if you go back i think to the second day of those results a huge swing for us was after our 100 backstroke after the 100 backstroke we put i want to say three or four girls in the final and then in our 53 we put three or four girls in the final as well and your va didn't have they didn't have a response to that that is a huge game changer um and it's not our top girls, they did what they had to do. It's our underclassmen. It's our freshmen, our sophomores. Those are the ones that stepped up and they scrapped for the little points that over four days will add up. And it did. It did. So when we went into our last relay, so the way the breakdown is on that Thursday night, that final night, the men's diving event is the second to last event. And the last event for the women is the relay. And one of the most unnerving things was that the staff started coming to me and saying, we clinched the title. And there was a lot of talk about Virginia. They DQ'd their relay at the beginning. They disqualified it. And that's why they won. Even if they won their relay, even if they, they continued to do it and everything was fine, we still would have beat them just on depth. So that means our women's team is a stud team from top to bottom, and there is no we just had lesser holes to fill than they did. Our weakest, you're only as strong as your weakest link, and our weakest link is quite strong. And when you look at what the diving performance did in the ACC championship, you placed a female diver and a male diver in the finals, Madeline Klein and James Brady, both of whom finished seventh overall. When you're looking at this diving program, which is under your tutelage, can you talk about what they have done to become such a powerful diving program with a couple of very good divers now hopping into the finals and getting recognition? They showed up to practice and they believed in the program. They believed in the system. Um, I mean, first off, they're great kids. Our, to put a freshman in, our diving program is very young. And our swimming program is a couple of years ahead of where our divers are. This is the first year that we have taken a diving team that has had no experience at the championship. And in the first two days, it, it showed. Nerves were getting the best of them. Uh, after their dives, they would come over and we would talk a little bit and reflect on what happened. And the one thing I would always hear, I know how to dive. I'm a better diver than this. I can do this better. And one of the conversations that we had going into last night was 
I don't want you to compete. You're not a competitor. If you're a competitor, you're trying to compare yourself to something else, somebody that you can't control. But the judges do that. What I told them was, I want you to perform. Do what you do in practice. Do how you know. In the words of Kevin Hart, you do you, boo. And that's all I said to them. You do you. And Madeline and James stepped up, and they, they did what they do best. And they were surprised. Every time they looked up at the scoreboard, it's, wow, I guess I can die. Because there was a little bit of time where it's, I mean, let's not, it is what it is. NC State is a swimming program. And diving needs to step up its game. And I believe with uh, James and Madeline making their ways into the final, Madeline, um, James put us, James and Harrison put us within 10 points of Louisville for the men's ACC, who is favored on a site sheet to be the champions for this year. Um, but we have never had points on the, we haven't had diving points on the men's side going into it. So we were always dead last going into this championship going into this week. Um, this is the first time we actually have points on the board and we are only 10 points behind Louisville. So there is a plus. There is a silver lining. On the women's side, what Madeline did once she was qualified into the finals, once she was in the top eight, she can't, even if she failed to dive, she can't get knocked out of the top eight. So those points are guaranteed for her and the team. That took an immense amount of pressure off of our relay and off of our swimmers that at worst, we, at worst, if everything stays the same, we might be within five points striking range of UVA. If everything goes well, and very much like it did, um, we would be a solid hundred and some points ahead of UVA. And that puts a lot of, a lot of the girls, it puts them at ease. It puts them at an ability to just go out and do their best. You don't have to, no pressure, no, truly, no pressure. Just go and do your best. If you touch the wall, and finish the race, we're going to win. If you make it all through all six dives, we're going to win. There is no pressure. And I think that was a big thing that I don't think Madeline understood. Her heart's in the right place where she really wanted to do the best that she could for the team. And it hurt her in wanting that so much and not focusing on herself in her first two days. In her final day, she just decided to let the cards fall where they may, and I'm going to do my best and see what happens. Turns out top eight is the best, and I can't ask for much more than that. And lastly, Coach, we'll mention someone who's just been incredible for, for you guys this entire season, Alexa Zevnik. She was named the most valuable swimmer at the ACC Championships. How great has she been for you this season? Alexia is a badass. <laughs> oh, you can just put it out there. That is what it is. Alexia, Lex is a stud. Uh, she has been an outstanding leader, uh, leads by example. She... Phenomenal in the classroom, phenomenal in the pool, steps up when we need. And one of the things that I know uh, Braden and the staff are very um, excited about, and this is probably a conversation more for him, but whenever he needs Alexia to do something for the team, she willingly jumps to it. It's never about her. It's not about me, 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 I, I, I. It's about the team. It's what, what is the legacy that Alexia Zednik is going to leave on NC State? And I can tell you this, that she is going to leave a phenomenal legacy. I couldn't be proud. I was so happy um, and very deserving of everything that she's gotten. The NCAA championships come up on March 15th through 18th. Coach Radman, the Wolfpack, looking to make a run. Coach, in your honest opinion, best effort, is this a program that could be bringing home more hardware to Raleigh? I do believe so. I do believe that this program is set in the right direction. Um, we have a phenomenal leader in, in Braden Holloway, and all of us as a staff, we follow his lead, and he's got a vision. It's crystal clear. Not everybody might see it, but he knows exactly what he wants. And with these, the girls that we bring in and the, the message that we send throughout our program, we are headed in the right way. And for all those naysayers and doubters, hate on. Haters got to hate. They need a job. Keep hating. But the program is headed in a very, very positive direction, both in the classroom and in the pool. And I do believe that, that accolades and hardware are 
are soon to follow. Man, we have to stick on the straight and narrow um, and just follow the plan. Just trust the system and follow the plan and everything else takes care of itself. Coach Radman, thank you so very much for your time and best of luck heading to the thank national you, championships. I appreciate that. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Nick. Go back. Absolutely. Coming up on the other side of this short break, Nick Sinopoli and I will be talking a little bit of men's and women's basketball. And, oh, boy, we're back to diamond sports season as well as NC State baseball and softball are underway. This is The Howler. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome you back to the Howler inside of our studios at the West Dunn Building. Drew Blevins alongside Nick Sinopoli. And now we get to talk about one of these things that has dominated the talk of the NC State campus for the past week or so now. And now that it's finally come to fruition, we actually really do get to have some fun in our discussion about it. NC State men's basketball coach Mark Godfrey dismissed the day after he loses to Carolina. Dismissal? Really? I mean, dismissal? I mean, he finished. He f- he's going to finish the the rest of the season, which at this point for NC State is two games, and then however far they go in the ACC tournament, which, to be honest with you, doesn't look like it will go very far, despite the fact they did score a win against Georgia Tech last night. But first of all, Nick, your thoughts on the firing? You know, I I think it's the right call, Drew. You know, people will say, well, look how much Mark Godfrey has done for NC State in the past six years, and and they're, and they're right, you know, four straight trips to the tournament, two sweet, sweet 16 appearances, but at NC State, you have these high expectations for success, and I don't blame, I don't blame Debbie Yao, I don't blame the NC State fans for calling for his head, per se, I think it's the right move, I mean, NC State, when you look at its history, the success it has had, the 1974-1983 National Championships, and you know, up until the 1990 season where Jimmy, Jim Valvano resigned under those sanctions and allegations by the NCAA. If that didn't happen, and I know that's a big if, you know, NC State could have been, you know, a, a team just consistently contending for ACC, you know, championships. And I think it's the right call because for 40 years, almost 40 years by now, NC State wants that success again. And I don't blame him. I mean, when you've got Duke and UNC down the road, you want to aim high and be able to compete with those guys year in and year out. Not necessarily just compete, but win and beat them. And it's the right move to fire Gottfried. You know, he hasn't played defense for nearly his entire coaching career. It's the right move by NC State. I think it is the right move, but I, I think it was handled in the incorrect way. I, I think that fans... Fans, especially at NC State, have their own certain kind of delusions that there is a quick fix that in a year or two you can be just as good as North Carolina or Duke. And, and that's exactly what it is, a delusion. You, you cannot build your program that quickly. In this case, Mark Godfried had the team that was going to be able to compete with the Blue Bloods of the state he, this he had, year. He, he had a, he had a, a tournament mountain that could make on, a run. On paper... This was one of the top five teams in the ACC. On, on, pa- on paper, paper, on paper, this was a team that blew would make Nor- some noise that, in the NCAA tournament. Well, that blew North Carolina's on paper out of the water, in my opinion. I agree, and and probably matched up about evenly with Duke, very very close to say the least. And what we're starting to find out as the season went on is that paper meant absolutely nothing, and the ACC is very good this year. New York Times posted an article today that the ACC this year might be the best conference ever in the history of college basketball. I think that's a legitimate claim, but I'll tell you this. There was supposed to be an NC State team somewhere in the top seven or eight of that mix, and they're nowhere to be seen. This is now a team that only has four wins in the ACC that is going to struggle to have a 500 season overall, and that's a crying shame. And I think the reason everybody was so frustrated isn't necessarily because this is, is going to be the second straight year NC State doesn't make the NCAA tournament. It's not necessarily the way NC State lost games because they blew leads. I think what everybody's frustrated with is all the hype and talent that came along 
with this particular team that never came to fruition. And you're right. And you know, when you look, when you talk about on paper, the reason teams on paper that are good do not pan out, it's coaching. That's it. It's coaching, it's chemistry, it's whatever, but it comes down to coaching. This team has not played defense this year. I'd be curious just to see what their defensive efficiency is. I, I mean, while they can shoot the light, they can shoot the lights out almost any, any night, they, they, they lack defense and uncontested shots, poor, poor dominance on the glass. You know, you got Yurtsevin, you've got Abdul Malik Abu. Yurtsevin just didn't pan out. You know, that happens a lot with guys from Europe, but they don't play defense. They, I feel like they have never set up an offense for the entire season. And, I mean, the energy's not there. And the energy isn't there because the coaching isn't there. The only way these guys get amped up is because they have a coach that is able to motivate them game in and game out. And Mark Godfrey isn't doing that. I mean, I feel like Mark Godfrey does not have a grasp on his team. I feel like the leash is too long. I think Godfrey doesn't know how to discipline these guys. I mean, he disciplined B.J. Anya. You know, B.J. Anya didn't make the Florida State trip. But hey, look, I mean, big deal. The guy hasn't done anything all season for you. He doesn't travel up and down the court. Yeah, you're punishing him, but what are you really losing? You're not losing anything at that point. And B.J. Anya has been a tub of lard who just sits on the floor all year long. And and I don't think I'm being too harsh in saying that. But what's frustrating more so than anything else is the way this team still has this swagger about them that they know they're good, but the results aren't there. And I think that's a problem. I think that's an attitude issue. And while, no, you can't control every player's individual attitude, you can keep your team within a little bit more realistic range of itself. And Mark Godfrey didn't do that. You know, I, I, I know what you mean, but like, I, I, it comes down to coaching for me, Drew. Mark Godfrey, in since he's since he's been in coaching, since he's been at NC State, since he's been at Murray State, since he's been at Alabama, and so on and so forth, they haven't played defense. I mean, that's just not it. And like the thing, not necessarily Mark. They NC State hasn't played defense. Mark Godfrey hasn't coached it. This is a different team. This is an offensive-minded team for sure. Last season, you've. In my opinion, that that team played better defense than this season. I mean, look at, you know, they got four losses above 25 points or more in the ACC play. That's including the loss against Louisville. Uh, That's, of course, the both UNC losses. And it just comes down to effort and coaching. And neither of these guys, neither neither of those elements have panned out. This was a a top 10 talent team in the nation. In my opinion, I would, if... uh, as as someone who follows NC State athletics, if the basketball team didn't make the didn't make the Sweet Sixteen this year, would have been a disappointment because this team had the pieces so, to put it together and they just didn't get it done. So now the question I have for you is: comparatively, the team that he had that was preseason ranked sixth and ended up losing in the first round of the tournament to Temple, were they more or less disappointing than this year's team? Mm. I'm going to say more. Oh, well, I mean, no, I would say this year's team is more disappointing. Just because of the hype surrounding Dennis Smith Jr., the number one point guard of the nation, you know, Abu coming back after kind of, or after being, uh, trying to go into the draft. Um, same thing with BJ Anya and Omir Yurseven. I mean, once you get that guy like Dennis Smith, he's a point guard. He he's, makes everyone around him better, and I believe he's done that and you've got Omir Yurcevin, a five-star recruit by NBA prospects, saying, you know, this guy, while not a lottery pick, he's in the first round. The guy hasn't played defense. You know, Dennis can't do it all. NC State lives and dies by Dennis Smith. I would say that it's a big, bigger disappointment this season because looking just at how they've competed in ACC play. I mean, See, and, and I get that. Yeah. I get that. No, I, I, I know what you mean, but, like, having, having another, a team ranked six nationally, they still made the tournament, though. They still, they still, but they lost. still, they, they lost. But this team is just nowhere near making the NCAA tournament. No, this year's team is a joke. That and, and there's no nice way to put that. This year's team has turned out to be the whipping boy of the Atlantic Coast Conference. 
Because we were all talking about it at one point, and even I and my tempered expectations for this team back in November, go back and listen to those episodes, and you'll really get a grasp for what I thought this team was going to do. I thought they'd slide into the tournament as an 8 or 9, at worst have to play a play-in game, win, and then see what happens. They weren't even close. And there were so many bad losses along the way. There were so many blown leads along the way. The and that's is, what really hurts. The thing is, you could have counted this team out before the Duke win. You really could have. Exactly. So, you had games that were winnable this year. And just counting those games, you could have racked up seven or eight ACC wins instead of the four you have, which makes you a little bit more appealing in this conference. And probably and probably just because of the just the talent of Dennis Smith and the talent of the team. They squeak in the tournament, if you ask me. The rescue squad didn't rescue anybody. They didn't put out the blazing fire that was NC State basketball. In fact, they only added oil on top of it. And that's ultimately, in my opinion, why Mark Godfrey gets fired. If this season is palatable, even without a tournament bid, if this is a 500 team in the ACC, you probably swallow your pride, go back to the drawing board, and Coach Godfrey is finishing out next season at a minimum. But that's not what happened this year. My final question on basketball, though, is now that you know the program's going to be heading in a different direction. How is this problem solved for NC State? Because I'm hesitant to call Mark Godfrey a whiff like Sidney Lowe was a whiff. Yeah. Sidney Lowe was a total miss. Mark Godfrey still made the tournament four times, made two sweet 16s. But when given the talent that he had this year and given the talent that he had with a team ranked sixth in the preseason, really didn't make a whole lot of it. How does NC State find a way to be relevant in ACC basketball after two years spent off the map? You know, I, Mark Godfrey was a great recruiter, by far. I mean, you bring in a guy like Dennis Smith, a guy that should have gone to, to a Kentucky, a Duke, a Kansas, the big blue bloods of college basketball. You reel him in, that's incredible. Same thing with Omir Yurtsman. While he hasn't panned out, still a solid pickup for NC State. You know, where you go from here is, I'm going to go with the coaching standpoint. I say you almost go a complete 180. As good as Mark Godfrey is a recruiter, you need someone who is as good at coaching. You know, and they need to get someone in there fast, Drew, because oh, totally agree. after the ACC totally tournament, agree. I mean, you know, I don't see them winning the ACC tournament. I'm going to go and call them their season done, in my opinion. If you get in, in there somewhere, you got to get someone in there quick because it could be a mass exodus after the season. Dennis Smith is going to go in the draft. you got to wonder if Abu will go in the draft. You've got to wonder who's going to transfer, too. Ted I think Capita, Sean Kirk's probably gone. I think Sean Kirk is gone. I think Ted Capita is gone, in my opinion. That guy... Has been good in what I've seen from him. He's you know not the biggest guy in the court. What is he? You know six six nine, and he's a heck of a rebounder. Needs to work on his shot a little bit. Need to play a little smarter basketball. He, I think he's gone. You've got to wonder if. I mean, I think Maverick Roman Stacey's getting good minutes. I think Omir Yurcevin, while he came to NC State for a computer engineering degree, I think he might be. Almost a lock to stay, in my opinion. I know that's kind of a shock to some people. I, I think he'd stay, too. I think he'd stay. I, do think, I wouldn't go so far and, as to and, say a lock, but he's going to stay. Yeah, and, and, and remember, Abu, in my opinion, will be a big piece because Abu, I think if he works on his game a little more, he could sneak into the second round of the draft next year. But there's no way he's getting drafted this year. I think Abu just leaves just on the pure sense of, well, I'm done with NC State. You know, I'm done with Coach Godfrey. I'm done with all this. I'm trying to get out of Dodge. But if you're Debbie Yao, you need to work now. Archie Miller has been the name that everybody's been throwing around. That would be an excellent pickup for NC State. Proven coach at Dayton. Smaller program. Small salary. Uh, small salary? I think he's making just under what Godfrey's making. At Dayton? I thought so. He's making just I, under $2 million. Smaller salary, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So... Greg Marshall's also been thrown out there. Kevin Keats at UNCW. Heard a lot of those names surfacing. 99.9 FM, the fan, reported that Vinny Del Negro had also self-thrown his name into the coaching search. He's an NCSU alum. And, and, and this season, I think, is a prime example to show that even if you have 
all the tools you need. If you have the number one talent team in the nation, but you don't have a guy who can run the show, you can't get it done. And I think, I honestly think, I'm going to go ahead and end with this. The only chance NC State has to win a ACC regular season title is when Coach K and Coach Roy are retired. That's it. And what you've got to look for from Duke and Carolina is they both have products from their universities who are in the coaching world now that are having success. Johnny Dawkins at Stanford, Duke graduate. Bobby Hurley, Arizona State, Duke grad. Jeff Capel has been the assistant to Mike Krzyzewski, hanging right there on the bench. And Carolina has Jeff Lebo at East Carolina, and they are continually trying to make noise in what's a football school. Coaching has its place. Coaching is very important. But at the end of the day, I'm going to stick by players win games. In this case, Nick, I will concede the point to you because it's what we've said all along. Coaching lost this season for NC State. It did. It just comes down to that. It boils down that quickly. But I wonder if Mark Godfrey had coached Joel Berry and Justin Jackson at North Carolina or Grayson Allen and Matt Jones at Duke. I wonder if they would have had the same dramatic falling out that NC State did this season. I don't think it's quite as dramatic. I think they lose maybe two more games. But at the end of the day, those players are still competitive. That's the reason I have no faith in NC State basketball. You know, we, uh, the interesting point you're bringing up, you know, relating to Joel Berry, Justin Jackson, and uh, Grayson Allen, because those guys, what years are they? Grayson Allen's, what, a junior? Jun- Matt Jones, senior. Matt Jones is a senior. Joel Berry is a senior. Justin Jackson is a junior. Those guys are established. They've been in college basketball before. You look up and down NC State's roster, they've got B.G. Anya as a senior. No Justin Jackson. Abdul Malik Abu is a junior. Abdul Malik Abu is a junior. While he's been good, that's only one guy. And then who else? No one. I mean, Terry Henderson, a redshirt senior, but the guy's basically been out of basketball for two years, and he's just a shooter. Well, and Torin Dorn redshirted, and but he's, Torin, he's Torin had Dorn, Richard, Richard's sophomore, though. You don't have guys that played are leaders Charlotte, on the though. team. Played, played in Charlotte. Played one year in Charlotte. Big deal. Charlotte, you, what, Amer- USA Division Conference? One. USA. Ooh, big deal. Um, in other news, Kevin Olsen, look up him. We'll see what he's done at Charlotte. But that's another story. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't have that many leaders, and you're one guy who is older. BG Anya doesn't count. The guy can't do anything on the basketball court. And Terry Henderson, and that's it. The guy's been out for two years. With the ankle injury last year, and then of course he redshirted another year. So I'll agree. I I will agree to disagree on the aspect of coaching, but I'll agree with you that I do think at Duke and you see those guys do better just because they're older. And I mean, you got Dennis Smith running the point, and he's a freshman. So that guy, as I've said before, and I'll say it a million times, NC State lives and dies by the play of Dennis Smith, and it's been about fifty-fifty this year. Fifty-fifty <laughs> in terms of. Overall record. <laughs> Dennis Smith might be the best recruit that NC State ever pulled in. Also the most overrated. Just simply based on results this year. Oh my oh gosh, don't start another that, one. That it's me. win loss. It is win loss. Recruit, not over this 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 is the most overrated team in NC State history. With the most overrated player in NC State history. Dennis Smith is still gonna be a top five pick in the NBA draft. I think he'll be a first rounder. Or oh, you think he's ju- jumping out of the lottery, huh? No, I don't think he's jumping out of the lottery. Top but 10. If he's out of the top 10, Drew, I will streak up and down hills, bro. I'm going to hold you to that. All right. Guess it's been decided. I, and I Remember this episode, for those of you loyal listeners, and we have many now. Remember that Nick Sinopoli will be streaking up and down Hillsborough Street if Dennis Smith is not in the top 10. You'll have to catch me outside. How about that? I cannot believe you just said that. <laughs> Nick, there is another basketball team. But we're going to talk about them in the context of a new game here. We're going to play Are You Worried? Ah. Going to talk a little bit about NC State women's basketball, NC State baseball, and NC State softball before we round things out here on the Howler. Starting with the women's basketball team who loses to Wake Forest in the Play for K game at Reynolds Coliseum, lost by a fairly large margin, too. Are you worried about the status of this women's basketball team as we're creeping closer to the ACC tournament in Myrtle Beach? Um, 
yes, actually. You know, I might be a surprising answer. They're ranked 18th now, I believe, after dropping that game to Wake Forest. I'm honestly a little worried. They played games close as late against ACC opponents. They played Clemson close, um, and they lost to Wake Forest at the Play for K game at home, mind you. So I am a little worried. I think the, this team has the tools to make a run in the NCAA tournament. I think they're about a four seed right now. They think think they could I think their ceiling is Elite Eight. I wouldn't go as far to say Final Four. But I mean this team has the tools. Dominique Wilkins not Dominique Wilkins. Dominique Wilson, excuse me. Um uh Maya Spencer, Jennifer Matherin, uh, Lucky Rudd. These these ladies have have played incredible basketball this season. But yeah, wait lost to Wake Forest. Not not a good look for NC State. Still think they they had a four seed and they host a tournament game. Uh, it'll be telling to see how they do in the NCAA tournament when they perform the ACC tournament in a couple weeks. I'm actually not too worried about this. What I'm huh. seeing from this NC State team is that they play to the level of their competition, whether it be up or down. And when you look at the rest of this season, especially as you get into postseason play, forget the rest of the regular season. As you go into postseason play, you're going to be playing high-level competition. And State can still finish third in the ACC, which would be monumental for these ladies. I think that would help them absolutely tremendously. But I know why it's a concern for a lot of people. I know that it's a bad look, probably the worst loss of the year for the NC State Wolfpack so far. But if you're playing to the level of your competition and you know that you're going to play high-level competition going forward, there's not a whole lot of reason to expect that NC State wouldn't be playing at a high level moving forward. On to the NC State softball team. Softball team, they've struggled. Started away from home, went 2-3 and three in their opening weekend, and then came back here to Raleigh and laid an egg in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, to be expected considering that Michigan and Minnesota were in the house. Are we worried about the softball team and their prospects to do anything this year? Uh, was I ever worried? I think I just kind of just knew they weren't going to be that hot. I mean, <laughs> this team, they've got they've got some puzzles. I mean, not some puzzles. They've got some pieces to the puzzle. They've got puzzle they got, pieces. Yeah, puzzle pieces, yeah. Woo-hoo! I mean, Tyler Ross, Molly Hutchison, th- those guys could just hit the crap out of the ball. I mean, that they're, they're, they're doing great back there. It's just that their pitching isn't all that there. I mean, their fielding's, fielding's a little shaky, but... I, I'm going to say I'm worried. I I don't think this team has, you know, a chance really to make an ACC tournament run. It's it's just a it's just a bad look. I mean, Tyler Ross, a senior, not going to go out. You know, one of one of the better players in NC State softball history. I just don't think this team has what it takes. You know, while it's early in the season, I don't see a lot coming out from this team. And Ross could challenge Renata Davis for the school home run record if she has another good season. But I agree. I'm worried. Peyton Silverman, upgrade in the circle to an extent, but not a lot. Ever since this team lost Emily Wyman a couple years ago, it's been really hard for them to rebound pitching-wise. And that's hard. Jade Carraway is also starting now, one of the fielders. Nice pickup. But this team didn't really improve a whole lot over the offseason. And sometimes that's just a tough pill to swallow. And it's unfortunate for the seniors. I'm really high on Molly Hutchison. I'm really high on Tyler Ross. I enjoy watching them play. We'll get to call a few of their games coming up here in a couple weekends and down the stretch. Great games to call. I love calling softball games. Absolutely tremendously fun. But I am worried. And I'm hoping that Sean Rychick pulls it together because I I do think he is the guy to build a program. He got into a Super Regional before they lost to the vaunted Sheridan Hawkins and the Oregon Ducks. But it's hard. It's very hard to be good in softball. Final, are you worried? Baseball team drops the Saturday game in their three-game set at Hawaii. They return home to play Austin P on the weekend here. Are we worried the state didn't sweep that series against the Rainbow Warriors? I'm not worried. You know, while this, remember the last time a team was ranked preseason number six and it didn't turn out too well, but I, certainly we've beat that dead horse enough today, <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> yeah, we have to say the least, but I, I'm not worried about this team. I, I think they have the chance to, you know, make a super regional. Um, I think the pitching's really got to come along a little bit. Their fielding is is spectacular. 
I mean, they can they can hit the ball. Oh my gosh! I mean, I, they're one through nine. They can one, hit the ball. One through nine, they can hit the ball. Yeah, as Andrew, my boy Andrew Schnitker told me uh, earlier today. But I mean, the only real weakness I can look at this team would be pitching, and and that's really it. I I think NC State has what it takes to get it done down the stretch. So no, I'm not worried. I'm not particularly worried either. I think that this baseball team is right where they want to be. You talk about the hitting. Offensively, this is an excellent baseball team. You could you could make a case for number one in the nation in offense. Probably. And I don't think anybody'd laugh at you for that either. I think you're gonna get a little bit of pushback in the ACC. Mm-hmm. It's a tough baseball conference. You've got a couple of rivals that are going to be good. You've got a Virginia Tech Hokie team that has started 4-0 and so far, and they could end up being one of the surprises of the year. I like Hokie baseball. I think they're going to be a team to watch. But overall, NC State is in the upper echelon of this sport. And so long as they perform in the ACC, so long as they get their wins and go about their business without too many scares, this should be a team that's hosting a regional Oh, yeah. And and maybe this time around, the baseball gods will smile upon Elliot Avent. Maybe they'll give him an ACC tournament championship. Maybe they'll let him advance to a super regional. Right now, for this NC State team, the ceiling is the limit. They can go as high as they want to go. You're right. I would I would even go so far as to say, it would not surprise me if this team makes it to Omaha and tries to make a run. And, I'll agree with that. And that's from a guy who's typically pessimistic about NC State <laughs> athletics. But what is not to like about this team? Brian Brown was hurt, doesn't doesn't play, excuse me, doesn't, wow, doesn't get a chance to throw. So you're hoping for his speedy recovery. You're hoping that you've got the bullpen development staff that you're going to be able to get by with the pitching that you have. But this is a baseball team that should be able to make some noise. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I, I would say the biggest uh the highest expectations for a team under Elliot Elliot <laughs> there you go Elliot Elliot Avon in his tenure here at NC State you know you look at these guys you got Brock Dethridge that guy is a stud Brett Kinnaman you know the list goes on and on I, I I'm excited to go out on on the diamond and you know watch these guys for myself this season I think this team definitely could make a run in Omaha but. Don't be worried, NC State fans. This is just a little hiccup in the road uh, waiting for Brian Brown to get back. Who knows? Maybe the sports gods were only playing a very, very cruel trick on NC State fans <laughs> by making the football team fall on a couple of tough ones and watching the basketball team sink deep, deep, deep into the heart of the Atlantic Ocean. Maybe there is something good to come out of the sports season. Nick Sinopoli, we have exceeded our time far, far more than we ever should have come close to doing, but it's been a good show. I think we've got a lot of good content. Any final thoughts? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think NC State has an opportunity to upset UVA this weekend, to be totally honest. Interesting. Um, UVA's coming off four straight losses. They're, they're shooting a, as a team in the past four games, a terrible 36.2%. They live and die by senior guard London Parentis. He's shooting 31.4% from, uh, excuse me, 31.4% from the floor in the past four games. In Virginia, fun fact, is ranked 301st in scoring offense nationally. Uh, you want to hear a list of some teams that, that are ranked higher than Virginia? Prairie View A&M University. PVMU! Woo! Uh, California, Go California Polytech, Polytechnic Institution, and then Morgan State University. If you could tell me where those at, you get a prize. But I think NC State could play the hope they miss game because Virginia has been in a slump as of late. Well, they played the hope they miss game for quite an extended amount of time. It hasn't worked. So far, it hasn't worked. Nick Sinopoli, this has been a good show, long though it may have been. And we're just certainly hoping that you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. You've just been given the State of Wolfpack Athletics on The Howler. We hope to see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of PAC TV. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports.
The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com.